I'm going to ask you to go once again to the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 15, and we're going to continue our study tonight on the covenant of God, the covenants of God. We began talking about the Abrahamic covenant on our last study, and this is such an important study because the Bible says that because of the blood of Christ, the blessings of Abraham have come upon the believer. And so what is contained in the Abrahamic covenant is ours uh, tonight and it's ours as believers by faith. Now, Genesis chapter 15, I shared with you last time, connects to Genesis chapter 14. So these two passages uh, are uh, important to study together. We're going to do a little of that tonight. But I'll begin at verse 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not fear, Abram. I am a shield to you. Your reward shall be great. Sorry, it says, Your reward shall be very great. And Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me, since I am childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, Since you have given me no offspring... One born in my house is my heir. Then behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This man will not be your heir, but one will come forth from your own body, and he will be your heir. And he took him outside and said, Now look toward the heavens and count the stars, if you are able to count them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. Then he believed in the Lord and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. Father God, I thank you tonight for the word which is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. I ask you to anoint my lips of clay to teach the word. And I ask you to anoint the hearing of this congregation that they might uh, receive the word and put it to fruitful use in their life. We ask this in Jesus' name and everyone said amen. God is a covenant God. God is a covenant-keeping God. These are foundational truths in the biblical study, and they're foundational truths for the believer. You and I are saved because of the new covenant. We're saved because of a covenant which God made at the cross, through which you and I can receive the forgiveness of our sins and uh, be made into a new creature through the shed blood of Jesus. So now the covenants of God are all throughout the Bible, and I won't take the time to, re, uh, to summarize them as I did last time, but all throughout the scriptures we run into these covenants, uh, and these are essentially a covenant is a contract. It's the terms uh, through which God is operating and through which God is working in the world. And the Abrahamic covenant is a covenant which God made with a man named Abram. He later changed his name to Abraham. And the covenant that God made to Abraham was both physical and spiritual. This covenant involved uh, the, uh, the nation of Israel, the land of the nation of Israel. And it also involved the spiritual blessings which come uh, through uh, the, the Jewish people and ultimately... Uh, the two greatest blessings that have come through the Jewish people 
in God's fulfillment of his covenant with the nation of Israel were that he said, I will bless all the nations of the earth through the Jewish people. That was part of the covenant. And he has done that primarily through two things. The word of God, the Bible written by Jewish men, has been the greatest, one of the greatest blessings uh, to the world. How many of you would say the word of God has blessed your life? And then the second blessing, of course, is the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, a, uh, the Jewish Messiah, Jewish man, born in the, uh, in the root system of the nation of Israel. The fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant. And through him and through his blood, all the blessings which were upon the people of God have been extended to the Gentiles by faith. So that even though you and I were not born a part of the Jewish family... We can still reap the Jewish blessing because of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I shared with you last time, uh, beginning there in verse 1 of God's, um, uh, of God's promise to Abraham, which we find here in chapter 15. Abraham had just gone to war, he'd just gone to battle to deliver his nephew Lot from being uh, taken captive by the kings of the, na- the city of Sodom. And when he rescued him, then he returns and there is the cloud hanging over him of retaliation. Because in those days, wars could go on for for centuries uh, regarding uh, families as as the retaliation continued throughout the history of those families. And so Abraham was concerned about that. But God came to him and said, Abraham, I don't want you to fear. He says, do not fear I am your shield. And we talked about last time how the shield uh, is the, the protection of God and the favor of God and the blessing of God. And is one of the covenant promises which God made to Abraham that anybody that messes with you is going to have to deal with me. Aren't you glad today that you are in covenant with God and that you have someone to stand up for you and defend you? Say amen, somebody. You and I have entered into covenant with God, and so when someone uh, touches our life, they have to deal with God because he is in covenant with us. He's our shield. But then he makes the next statement. He says, Abraham, do not be afraid. I am a shield to you. I am your exceedingly great reward. And tonight I want to talk about the covenant reward. Uh, Quiero hablar esta noche sobre la segunda frase aquí que encontramos en Génesis 15, verso 1. Jehová le dice a Abraham, como hablamos la semana pasada, no temas, yo soy tu escudo. Y ahí vemos la, la promesa del pacto de Dios, de la protección divina. Y que cuando uno toca a la vida de, un, de una creyente, la vida de una persona en pacto con Dios... Eso también incluye uh, la, uh, o envuelve a Dios. Entonces, Él se levanta para defender y proteger a sus hijos. Si lo cree, diga amén. Esa es la realidad del de pacto. Pero ahora está esta segunda frase. Y Él dice, yo soy tu gran galardón. Now, the Bible tells us in the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, verse 6, that God is a rewarder. Let's read that uh, real quick here this evening. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, the Bible says, And without faith it is impossible to please him. 
For he who comes to God must believe that he is. And that he is the rewarder of those who seek him. Now there are some people who would deny the right of any believer to expect a reward. And so they'll use a phrase like this. It sounds sort of spiritual, I guess. And they say, you know, you shouldn't serve God for a reward. Or you shouldn't be faithful for a reward. And uh, that sounds spiritual, but it's really not biblical. Because the Bible says, here we've read very plainly, that in order to please God, we must do two things. Number one, we must believe that He is. That means that uh, we cannot expect to receive anything from a God who we don't believe exists. And so that's step number one. We believe that He is. How many of you believe that God is? You believe that God is God. Second step is you've got to believe that He is the rewarder. That He is the rewarder of those who seek Him. Dice aquí Hebreos capítulo 11, el verso 6, que sin fe es imposible agradar a Dios. Y el que se llega a, a, a Dios tiene que llegarse a base de dos cosas. Primero, le cree a Él, cree que Él es. Y número dos, el que se llega a Dios tiene que creer que Él es el galardonador de los que le sirven. And so I just want to deal with that at the outset because if you convince yourself that there is no reward or that God is not a rewarder and you go along that path of thinking, you're going to miss out on some of the exceptional benefits of the covenant of God. As usted se va con, con esa, ese pensamiento que algunos tienen que uno sirve a Dios sin, sin esperar nada, entonces va a perder la oportunidad de recibir algunos de las, uh, uh, los beneficios grandes de estar en pacto con Dios. Say that out loud. God is a rewarder. One more time. God is a rewarder. Now the Bible says that he will, uh, in the end he's coming with his reward. Dice la Escritura que en el fin, en nuestro Señor Jesucristo viene con su galardón. The Bible says, uh, hold fast what you have, uh, because uh, he, that let no one, let, lest no one, lest anyone take your crown. It tells us to be ready, to be ready because Christ is returning and his reward is with him. So in the end of days, there's going to be a reward ceremony and the reward of unrighteousness and wickedness will be judgment. And the reward of the righteous will be blessing and peace. And so God is a rewarder. Now there are uh, two things I want to mention to you briefly before I go on about that is, is simply this. That God's rewards are for eternity. The Bible does talk about your reward is in heaven. But God's reward is also for time, for right now. Uh, Jesus told the disciples, no one who gives up father or mother for my sake and the gospel will not receive also in this life. And he said, if you give up farms and lands and houses and mothers and fathers for my sake and the gospel, you will receive the same a hundred times in this life and in the life to come. So God's reward is not just sweet by and by. 
after the funeral, when you get to heaven, say amen, somebody. God's reward is for right now, for today. El galardón de Dios para cuando es, para para a donde lo disfrutamos. Bueno, el galardón de Dios es eterno, es para el cielo. La Biblia habla de el galardón que tenemos en el cielo y eso es la eternidad. Pero también el galardón es para hoy. Jesús dijo, nadie que ha dado terrenos o casa o padre o madre o hermanos por mi causa y por el evangelio no recibirá también en esta vida cien veces más y en la vida venidera. Así que el galardón de Dios es para hoy y para la eternidad. And so you don't have to wait till you die to enjoy the covenant Reward of God. Usted no tiene que esperar morir para disfrutar el pacto o el galardón del pacto de Dios. Amen, somebody. So God is a rewarder and he tells, he tells Abram here, I am your exceedingly great reward. Aquí le dice a Abraham, yo soy tu galardón. Let's go to another passage, Isaiah chapter 40. Verse 9 through 11, vamos a ir a otro pasaje, Isaías, el capítulo 40, el verso 9 al 11. Here you have a description of God. Aquí tenemos una descripción de Dios. A beautiful one at that. It says, get yourself up to, mount, to the high mountain, O Zion, bearer of good news, Lift up your voice mightily, O Jerusalem, bearer of good news. Lift it up and do not fear. Say to the cities of Judah, here is your God. What kind of God is he? Behold, the Lord God will come with might, with his arm ruling for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. Like a shepherd, he will tend his flock and his arm will gather the lambs and carry them in his bosom, and he will gently lead the nursing lambs. Now that's God's uh, character and nature. We see there in verse 11, the, uh, verse 10 and 11, the nature and character of God as a rewarder, as one who brings a recompense. And then we see him as a shepherd, tending the flock, and who carries them in his arms, and who gently leads them. His, now, are you seeing God do these things in your life? Say amen if you are. Are you seeing God bless you? Are you seeing God shepherd you? Is he tending you like a flock? That means he's feeding you. Is he feeding you? Are you being carried in his arms? And is he leading you? Is he leading you? Say amen if he is. This is the character of God. God is a rewarder. Dios es galardonador. Y debemos tener eso muy claro en mente. Porque este, este mensaje, este, este estudio uh, requiere que usted y yo entendamos esa gran, gran realidad. This study requires us, first of all, to understand that great reality. Now, in the Hebrew, the word reward is the word sakar, which means wages. En el hebreo, la palabra galardón es la palabra que significa salario. And so literally, uh, we could translate the verse as this. God says to Abraham, 
I will be your exceedingly great salary. Dios le dice a Abraham, yo voy a ser tu salario grande. How many of you would like an exceedingly great salary? That was a weak amen. ¿Cuántos quieren un salario grande? But God says to Abram, fear not. Because I will be your exceedingly great salary. I'm going to be your exceedingly great reward. Now, I want you to understand something with me tonight. Because uh, this, this part of the covenant is so uh, significant, so beautiful, uh, that if you get lost in the financial part of it, you will, uh, you'll miss out on, on the whole of it. So this is not just talking about money. No estamos hablando solamente del dinero. We are talking about money in a sense, but not exclusively. The word wages there leads us to understand that there is, a, that there is an economy that is being discussed. La palabra salario ahí nos da a entender que hay una economía de la cual Dios le está hablando a Abraham. En esencia, Dios le está diciendo a Abraham, yo soy tu economía. God is essentially telling Abram in this covenant declaration, I am your salary. I want you to say that, or, um, let me say that again. He is saying to Abram, I am your economy. So say that with me tonight, even though you don't understand it yet, just say it out loud, God is my economy. What is an economy? An economy is a system by which we receive things or by which we do things. Una economía, que Dios le está diciendo a Abraham, yo soy tu economía, es un sistema a través del cual podemos recibir cosas o poder lograr cosas. You and I live in the economy of the dollar. Usted y yo vivimos en la economía del dólar. In reality is we live in the economy in the United States. Our economy is the Federal Reserve System. Nuestra economía en este país es el Banco de Reserva Federal. In the 1970s we had an economy up for the majority of our history up until that point called the gold standard where every dollar was backed by gold in the National Bank. Uh, antes teníamos la economía del oro y cada dólar valía su peso en oro. So when the dollar was worth its, its value in gold, then the dollar could do a lot more than the dollar does today. Uh, when the dollar was backed by gold, then the dollar could buy more than a candy bar. You almost can't buy a candy bar with a dollar anymore. Uh, so things have changed. Why? Because in the 1970s, we went from one economy to another. We went from one system to another. We went from the gold standard to the Federal Reserve System. How does the economy work now? Well, now we have a Federal Reserve Bank, and they decide what the dollar is worth, more or less, I'm really simplifying things, based upon the interest rate that they place on uh, the borrowing of money by the federal government. And so... What we have there is a system through which things get done. Uh, what I want you to understand there is that God has an economy too. And God tells Abram, 
You've come into covenant with me, and now I'm your economy. I'm your system through which you're going to receive and through which you're going to accomplish things in life. Dios le está diciendo a Abraham, yo soy tu economía. Yo voy a ser el sistema a través del cual tú vas a lograr las cosas que yo he puesto en tu corazón. Now, why is this uh, being told to Abram at this point in time? ¿Por qué será que Dios le dice esto a Abraham en este momento? Well, if you go back into chapter 14, usted regresa al capítulo 14. Abram went to war. Abraham fue a guerra. What happens in the ancient world when you win a war? Well, when you win a war, you get to take the spoils of war. Uh, en, en, la, en la época an, uh, antigua, si alguien ganaba una guerra, entonces le, le tocaba el botín de la guerra. Y si el botín de la guerra uh, era oro o plata o uh, quizá personas esclavizadas, lo que fuere, ese botín ahora pertenecía al, al ganador. In that world, you, you received the spoils of battle. So if you went into a city, you conquered the city, and the city's gold, and the city's silver, and the city's uh, uh, property belonged to you now. And you became rich by conquest, rich by the spoils of war. And so Abram gets involved in this battle, but his goal is not to become rich. He was already quite wealthy, but his goal was to deliver Lot, his nephew. If it hadn't been for Lot, he wouldn't have been involved in this thing at all. Cuando Abraham está envuelto en esto no es para enriquecerse, ya era rico, sino que él entra a esto porque él va a liberar a Lot. Sin embargo, para liberar a Lot tuvo que ganar, y ganando se ganó el botín. However, when he rescued Lot, he then won. In order to win, to rescue Lot, he had to win, and once he won, now he had access to all the spoils. And so he told the king that went with him, he said, you keep the spoils. Le dijo al rey que, uh, con, con cual él había peleado a, a, al lado de él, le dijo, tú te quedas con el botín. You stay with the spoils. And we read there in verse 22 of chapter 40. He says, uh, verse 21, the king of Sodom said to Abraham, give the people to me and take the goods for yourself. And Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have sworn to the Lord, God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, that I will not take a thread or a sandal uh, or anything that is yours, for fear that you would say, I have made Abraham rich. Now let's understand what's happening here. Abraham is being offered the spoils of war. What does he do? He rejects the spoils of war, and he, he rejects it for this reason. He says, I have made a covenant with God, and God is the possessor of the heavens and the earth. That means everything belongs to God. Say amen, somebody. I will not take so much as a shoelace from you. Why? Because I will not let you say that you made me rich. Abraham rejects the economy of Sodom. And when he does that, the next scene, God shows up. 
And don't miss the connection between those two things. When he rejects one economy, God shows up and he says, Abraham, I am your economy. Say amen, somebody. You and I have to make up our mind because we're covenant children of God. We have forsaken the economy of the world. And we have forsaken the systems of the world and the flesh and the devil. And God is our economy. Is the church still with me tonight? So he rejects one system in order to operate in the other. Are you with me tonight? El rechaza el botín. Y dice, no, no voy a recibir ni una sandalia, ni una, ni una cuerda, ni una faja de ustedes, porque no voy a dejar que ustedes digan que ustedes hicieron a Abraham rico. Además de esto, yo he hecho un pacto con Dios, el cual es poseedor de los cielos y la tierra. Cuando Abraham hace esto, él rechaza la economía del mundo. La economía secular y abraza la economía divina. Y Dios aparece en, el, en la próxima escena de su vida y le dice a Abraham: Yo soy tu economía. Now, listen, when you understand what Abraham understood, this is not hard to do. When Abraham understood, God owns everything. Say amen, somebody. God owns everything. And I'm in covenant with God. And what's his is mine. Therefore, I own everything. So I don't need the economy of the world. I don't need the system of the world. Is the church here tonight? Now you cannot, you cannot operate in the covenant economy and in the secular economy at the same time. Nobody said Amen. You've got to decide whose economy are you going to operate in. Are you going to operate in the economy of heaven or are you going to operate in the economy of the earth? And if you, if you operate in the economy of the covenant, then you will be able to succeed in the economies of the earth. Say amen, somebody. This is why when you hear someone say that the dollar is losing its value, whenever you hear someone say that they're expecting a market crash, Whenever you hear that they say that the stock market has lost a great uh, number of points in a given day, you don't panic. And why don't you panic? Because you are in the covenant economy. Say amen, somebody. I said you're in the covenant economy. And the covenant economy is not dependent on the stock market or the value of the dollar. It's dependent on God himself. Is there anybody listening tonight? Are you tuned in? Are you listening? Because this is your covenant benefit. Ese es el beneficio de estar en pacto con Dios. Que cuando la economía natural baja, usted no entra al pánico. ¿Por qué? Porque está en la economía de Dios. La economía del pacto. Say amen, somebody. All right, now let me just mention there are four economies. Hay cuatro economías, quiero mencionar. The first economy is the economy of the curse. La primera economía es la, la economía de la maldición. This was the economy that was left when Adam and Eve sinned. Cuando Adán y Eva pecaron, la economía que quedó fue la economía del, 
de la maldición. And in that economy, what you have is poverty and lack. En esa economía se sufre la pobreza y la escasez. Now, I told you, don't just get caught up in the, because you think economy, you think salary, you think money. But you can be poor in more ways than just money. You can be poor in your relationships. If you don't have a friend in the world, you're poor. You can be poor spiritually. If you don't have a relationship with God, you're poor. The Bible said, Paul said, Beloved, I wish above all things that you would prosper even as your soul prospers. When you're in relationship with God, your soul prospers. When you're out of relationship with God, your soul is in poverty. There's some people who can't give and they're not generous and they squeeze and, and hold on to everything they have because they live in a constant fear of lack and poverty. And that is a spirit that dominates the world. It's a system that dominates the world. And if I had to put it in a phrase, it would be like this. The phrase in that economy is, I can't afford it. I can't afford it. Now, normally I would have you say these out loud, but I don't want you to say that one out loud. How many of you have said that? How many of you have said it today? I can't afford it. Well, we don't just say that about money. We do often say that about money, but you might say some you might hear someone say something like this. I'm not going to I'm not going to trust you. I'm not going to be your friend. I'm not going to say yes to your marriage proposal. I can't afford to be hurt again. What are they operating out of? The curse. Poverty. Lack. La, la expresión, la frase que se relata más a la economía de la, de la maldición es uh, No tengo lo suficiente para lograr eso, para obtener eso No, lo, no, no tengo el dinero Y esa expresión relata la, la, la pobreza, la falta de algunas cosas And I was thinking about this this week because I've, I've seen myself go through every one of these economies. And I don't, I don't have to tell you which one's the better one. But if you're living in the I can't afford it economy, I just want to give you some good news. Jesus died on the cross to bring you out of the economy of the curse. Say amen, somebody. So at the very least, I just want you to add a little word. If you have to say that, just add this word, all right? I can't afford it yet. Everyone say yet. I can't afford it yet. Maybe I'm not there yet, but I'm going to get there. You've got to at least, if you're there right now, you've got to at least start thinking about the fact I'm not going to stay at this level. Say amen, somebody. Because you can afford it. If you're walking with God... If you're walking with Christ, you can't afford to take a risk on loving people. I know people are going to hurt. I know people are going to fail. But God will not. And the economy of heaven is such that you can love unconditionally 
And even when people don't always return that love, you can still be sound and secure and whole and healthy because you can't afford it because Jesus Christ has filled your tank. Come on, somebody. And so God wants you to come out of that place. Dios no quiere a nadie en ese, esa economía. Entonces, si usted tiene que decir esa frase, dígalo así, todavía no puedo. El todavía por lo menos da a entender que usted va a salir de ahí. When I was a, 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 a young man, when I was a little boy, I wanted a computer. Now, the, the personal computer was at that time starting to become more affordable. But still, I couldn't afford it. Uh, and I went to my parents and I told them I wanted a computer. And what did they think, what did they, think they taught me? I can't afford it. All right. So I could see what a computer would do for me. I could see that if I had a computer, I would be able to make flyers for my father's ministry and covers for my father's media. I could see those things, but I could not see the provision of that thing. So I'm going to just use that as an example. You're going to follow me on that computer, all right, so you can see how we come through these economies. Now, the next economy is the, the natural economy. La segunda economía, la economía natural. This economy is described in Genesis chapter 9, and God said, seed, time, and harvest. Esta es la economía de la semilla, el tiempo, y la cosecha. Now, the way an economy works is that an economy has a currency. In the United States, our currency is what? And our, our currency is what? The dollar. Well, in the, in the natural economy, the currency is work. Everybody say work. Now, this is the economy we're all familiar with. Esta es la economía que todos conocemos. And the phrase that we use in this economy is, I have to work for it. La economía de esta, perdón, la... Uh, la, la moneda de esta economía es el trabajo. Y todos conocemos el trabajo. And the Bible describes it very plainly. He who does not work, does not eat. La Biblia lo describe muy simple. La economía natural es el que no trabaja, no come. I met a homeless man once. He said, the Bible says, he who does not work, does not eat. Some days I don't eat. And he had decided to choose that lifestyle and he understood the consequences of it. Everybody understand the natural economy? How do things work? Seed, time, harvest. You plant a seed, it takes time, you get a harvest. You work, put your time in, you get a harvest. Salary. Say amen, somebody. That's the natural economy. And so when I wanted that computer, my parents told me we can't afford it. So then that went to the next level. What do we have to do? What do we have to do? Work for it. Now listen, if you're going to leave your kids in an economy, don't leave them in the curse, all right? At least get them to work so they won't starve. 
Now this is the reality of the economy and it's not a bad economy. Uh, this economy works for everyone. Esta economía no es mala. Trabaja para todos. Los buenos, los malos, los ignorantes, los sabios, todos si trabajan con un propósito bueno pueden producir un salario y recibir y participar en la economía. Everyone who works, if they put their work toward a useful purpose, can and does receive a, a wage, a salary, and can participate in this economy. And those who refuse to uh, are, are going to be led to ruin. El que se rehúsa a participar en esta economía va a llegar a la ruina. And America needs to be very careful right now. Estados Unidos necesita ser muy cuidadosa ahorita because we're creating a, an economy that, that rejects the seed time harvest principle of the word of God. When the government sends people checks to stay home instead of work, we are contradicting the word of God. Very few amens. And it will not lead to prosperity or blessing. It will lead to ruin. Listen, you can only go so far, so long, before there are fewer people who are working and contributing to be able to cover all those checks. And sooner or later, the seesaw breaks in the other direction. Is the church listening? So let me just tell you this. If you are living... And, and thank God, or let's just say this, thank God for our American welfare system uh, because it is a social safety net and it has helped many people. Uh, and if you're living on, on welfare in the United States, you should be grateful for it, but you should also decide that it's not where God intends for you to stay. Say amen, somebody. God has a greater economy. And, and I have seen God lift people up in this church. Listen, King's Way Church is about learning to do things the King's Way. And when you learn to do things the King's, King's Way, you will not stay at the bottom. It's impossible. So make up your mind that if you're there now, thank God for it. But you have a, a vision, a goal... And you've, you're not going to stop working and striving until you get to see that goal manifest in your life. Now the fourth economy, third economy, the third economy uh, is the economy which we call the Babylonian economy. La tercera economía es la economía babilónica. Now the Babylonian economy is basically the world's system. It's, a, it's a, a, a perversion of the natural economy. Es una perversión en sí de la economía natural. La, la economía babilónica es el sistema mundial o de este siglo. Cuando digo de este siglo estoy hablando de, de la influencia satánica que ha, que ha dominado el mundo. We're talking about the the satanic influence over the world, the world system. And the Babylonian economy operates through debt. La economía babilónica trabaja a través de la deuda. 
Now, the Bible never in any place says that debt is a sin. All right, let's understand that. La Biblia nunca dice que la deuda es un, un pecado. Doesn't forbid debt. No, no, no nos niega la deuda. But I do want you to understand, the Bible says that the borrower is servant to the lender. El que, el que pide prestado es esclavo al que le presta. Es lo que dice la Escritura. And so the phrase in this economy is, here we go, I can't afford it. That's one. I'll work for it. That's two. But, but if I don't like that, that little time part, seed time harvest, I want to cut the time short. What do I do? If I work for a year, I can buy a computer. But if I get a credit card, I can have a computer tomorrow. Amazon Prime. No, no one said amen. You understand? That's why I said this is a, this is a satanically influenced system. Because the enemy would love nothing more than to take people who are called by God and tie them down with debt. And take away your sleep, take away your peace, because you become overburdened by debt. So the, uh, the Babylonian economy says, I will borrow for it. I can't afford it. I'll work for it. I'll borrow for it. Now, I mentioned to you that God does not deny or does not in any way... Uh, regard debt as a sin, but it does warn us against debt. La Biblia no nos dice que la deuda es pecado, pero nos, nos habla uh, o nos enseña, nos avisa a tener cuidado con la deuda. A good principle to live by would be this. If you're going to borrow money, make sure you borrow money for things that are going to increase in value. A house will increase in value. Your bill tonight at Chapala will not increase in value. You understand? If you buy land on debt, it's going to increase in value. If you buy a couch on debt, it's going to lose value. You understand? So at the very least, the Bible gives us these principles to help us govern the control that the Babylonian economy can have on the believer. God wants you out of debt. And he's, he's so determined by that, about that, that in the, in the Old Testament, he had a system whereby every seven years, there was debt freedom for the people of God. So I want you to understand this, because where we're going is the covenant economy. And the covenant economy is an economy that makes debt freedom a possibility. Say amen, somebody. So if, if you and I want to stay there, if we want to operate in that system, then God will give you the money or the help to pay off your monthly debt. But if you want to go beyond that, guess what? God will help you to do that too. 
Damn it, somebody. What's the fourth economy? The fourth economy is the covenant economy. La cuarta economía es la economía del pacto. In the covenant economy, we use this phrase. I will believe for it. La frase para la economía babilónica es voy a pedir prestado. Pero la frase para la, eh, uh, la economía del pacto es voy a creerle a Dios. How many of you are believing God for it? Say amen somebody. How many of you are believing God for it? And so if you and I are going to live out the full benefits of the Abrahamic covenant, then you and I will, will be greatly benefited by understanding the covenant economy. Abraham rejected all the other economies. The, the secular economy said, I don't want anything to do with that. I'm going to abide by the covenant economy. I'm going to walk in the covenant blessing of God. Now, how does the covenant economy work? The covenant economy works through prayer and receiving. What does the Bible say? Ask and it will be given unto you. The Bible says, seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open unto you. Prayer and receiving. The covenant economy works through sowing and reaping. La economía del pacto o funciona a través de la oración y funciona a través de la siembra de nuestra semilla. The currency of the covenant economy is faith in the promises of God. La moneda de la, de la economía uh, del pacto es fe en la, las promesas de Dios. Y recibimos a través de la oración y a través de la siembra. So if you're going to receive in the covenant economy, you've got to be a prayer, praying person who knows how to ask God for things that you need and be able to receive them by faith. And then you need to be a sowing person, someone who is giving and sowing because you can't have a harvest without seed. Is the church still here tonight? So I said... I can't afford it. I'll work for it. And then I got, because I had just turned 17, I got a beautiful, wonderful offer of credit. And there was this wonderful laptop computer that I borrowed for. I'm giving you my story tonight. And my father, well, he was not he wasn't too far ahead of me on this one, so he just he encouraged me to do that. And then I got, I got behind my, my uh, payment, and I got a phone call. And do you know what the guy told me? He said, you need to declare bankruptcy. <laughs> Here I was, 17 years old. Already... Psychologically a slave to the lender. Come on, somebody. 
Watch out, guys, with those credit card offers. You should have a pair of scissors in your mailbox. Just keep them handy. Or a shredder. So, you know, finally I got that thing paid off. And I started to learn a new economy. Say amen, somebody. Well, at least I knew if I, if I worked for it, it might take me longer. But if I work for it, no one can call me and tell me to declare bankruptcy. It's mine. It doesn't just feel better to buy things on cash. But pastor, 90 days, same as cash. Watch out. Before I paid off that computer, it didn't work anymore. I'm just talking about real life things that happen to us, don't, don't they? That's why I tell you, if you're going to borrow, borrow for something that's going to increase in value. But I started to learn a new economy. And this was a new economy. God is the possessor of all things. And I'm going to learn how to work and I'm going to learn how to sow so that I can reap. Say amen, somebody. And when I began to learn that, I began to learn that I'm going to believe God for it. So the day came when I needed to buy a computer for my ministry. When God called me to go into ministry full time, I was able to buy the computer I needed, cash, without thinking about it, without even having to, to work any extra for it, because I had learned to operate in the covenant economy of God. And what I have seen God do is I have seen God do what he did for Abraham. When you make a decision, God, I'm going to operate by your principles. Whether it be financial or relational or emotional or every other. Wherever you decide to honor God in, your, in his principle, God will be your exceedingly great reward. Is the church here tonight. So I learned to pray, write these things down, pray specific prayers. I learned to pray specific prayers. When I was a, an evangelist, I'm just going to give you a few more details here tonight. Anyway, it's just us, right? Y'all don't mind me telling my stories. Anybody ever done something dumb? We all have these stories. When I was an evangelist, I, I was roughly receiving, uh, I think, about, about $1,500 a week, a month. And I was, I was getting by. Cuando era evangelista, yo recibía más o menos $1,500 por mes y estaba uh, estaba saliendo adelante. Now I had told God when He called me into full time ministry, because these were the terms I felt He called me into. I will never ask a pastor for the pulpit, so I was not going to be calling pastors and saying, "Hey, pastor, I'm going to be in your area this week." You know, and that would get me an open door. I'm not going to do that. There are people who do that. I don't judge them for it. I just personally felt God's way of working with me because this is his economy. 
was, if you have called me to preach, you'll open the doors. And guess what? If someone invites you to preach or dinner, whatever the case, it's going to be a lot easier if they invite you than if you invite yourself. Because if you invite yourself, they're not going to pay for dinner. Are you listening tonight? I'm just letting you know, God's economy works. But sometimes it takes a few baby steps to learn how to work it, how to work in it. But I was, I was watching God every week. I was an evangelist for eight years. Every week I had a place to preach. And the other thing was I was never going to talk about money. So I was never going to say to a congregation, listen, I need X number of dollars to meet my budget this month. And if a pastor asked me, Brother Isaac, how much do you charge to come? I was going to say, I don't charge. Whatever you feel led to give, you can give. If you don't, that's fine. I don't charge. And generally, I just said, I don't charge anything. So that meant if they didn't provide a hotel, I had to find a place to sleep for myself. If they didn't give me gas money, I had to find gas money. But it was between me and God, not me and the preacher. Why? Because God was my economy. Now, let me just tell you, if this is what God calls you into, do it. If it's not what God called you into, don't do it. So my first call comes. Pat, and, and this is when I, when, I, when I took that step. I didn't, nobody knew who I was. And I wasn't Nobody was breaking my door down to have me come preach. And I had nowhere to go. It's like, you know, launching a, a ministry and there's no invitations. And no one's going to know about it because I'm not going to tell them. So it's going to be God or it's not going to be, is it going to be bust? I get my first call, come preach a revival. San Angelo, Texas. I think probably 200 mile drive. I've got $50. My father said, where are you going? I said, I'm going to San Angelo. He said, do you have, do you have, no, he said, como vas? Which in our world meant, how much money do you have? I said, voy bien. I'm not going to tell him I don't have any money because it's not between me and him. It's between me and God. God is the economy. So I left the, I left the house. And I went and parked at Walmart, and I just had a good old-fashioned pity party. And I said, God, you called me to this, and here I am. I have to drive further than $50 will go, and I don't have a hotel room. I don't know what I'm going to do. And here I am, you know, crying and mad and sobbing everything else. And then I hear a big old Dewey truck pull up next to me. And it's my uncle. And he says, you know, roll down the window. I roll down the window. He says, I've been looking for you. And he hands me an offering. And now he leaves and I'm looking at the offering. I'll never do that again, Lord. <laughs> You're so faithful. All right. Having a worship service now. Don't tell me this is not your story. Come on, don't tell me this is, you've not been there. 
I'll never do that again. I am your economy. That's what God said. Abram, I am your economy. Well, if God's your economy, then God's going to be the source. So I started watching God do these things. And I don't have the time to tell you as many stories as I have to tell you. But I'll be brief as Brother Josh comes. When I was called and asked, Pastor Isaac, or Brother Isaac, would you consider pastoring in Beaver at Monte Olivar? I believed I already knew the answer to that. I said yes. Dr. Longoria came to meet with the church board. And while he was here, I prayed. And I gave God a specific dollar amount that the church was going to offer as my salary. And it was just a little more than I was already receiving. Because that's as far as my faith in this economy had gone. And then I get the call. And he had, he had told me, he said, you know, the church uh, probably can afford to pay this much for your salary. I said, that sounds great. And I asked God for a little more than what he mentioned. I want to see if this was God or if it was Jimmy Longoria. I want to know who's behind this. And then I get the call and he said, Pastor Isaac, the church would like you to come. These are the terms. Eventually, we got down to the discussion of the salary. Now, I can't tell him how much I think or how much I request or anything like that because I told God I'll never ask for money. So the only one who knows is me and God what that number is. And when he says this is what the church is going to pay you, it was the exact dollar amount that I asked for. Say amen, somebody. And do you know what my very next thought was? Why did I ask for so little? Come on, don't tell me you haven't been there. Because if God can do one, he can do the other. Come on, is there any faith in the house of God tonight? Said out loud with me, God is my economy. The covenant system is designed to bring about the manifestation of the glory of God in your life. And if you and I will operate under these terms, God is the possessor of heaven and earth and everything I need, He has. And if I ask, I receive. And if I sow, I will reap because God is a covenant-keeping God. Abram, Fear not. I am your exceedingly great reward. Now, I didn't even get started on the lesson tonight. 
But let me just, I'll, I'll cover it next week. But let me just say this. God is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. God is the rewarder. Would you stand with me tonight? The Bible says, he that believes, or he who comes to God must believe that he is. If you believe that God is, just lift your hands to heaven tonight. And worship him because he is. And then I want you to worship him because he is the rewarder. Nothing that you have sown has been lost. If you sowed love and you didn't get it back, it has not been lost. God is the rewarder. If you sowed service and you feel like you got nothing for it, it isn't lost. God is the rewarder. If you sowed finances and you felt like the harvest didn't come, do not give up. God is the rewarder. Abraham said, I have raised my hand. He said, I have made an oath. I will not take your economy over God's. I am going to believe God because he is the possessor of heaven and earth. And he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Come on, right there where you are. You're a covenant child of God. Lay claim to the precious promises of God tonight.